R.I.P. Tex Avery, you would have loved the Big Les show. <laughs> I don't know what that is. You don't know what... Uh, uh, you're an art historian, you don't know what the Big Les show is. What's the Big Les show? It's this, like, animated cartoon. Well, obviously, it's going to be animated if it's a cartoon. Uh, done in MS Paint by this Australian guy. It's it's brilliant. Like, he... like. It's been running for years. I think maybe it's over now. But like the dude made an enti- two entire movies on his own in MS Paint. <laughs> um, before we move on from the wolf, I want to t- tell you one last story about about the wolf because it's so good. Okay. Um, apparently, this like he first um <laughs> displayed the 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 uh, the wolf character um to like an army sergeant. And he showed a scene that's that was not actually in the theatrical release, but is in a version you can find where the wolf at the end uh, gets married to the to the Red Riding Hood's grandma, right? Um, in the in the Red Hot Riding Hood story, mm-hmm. and um, uh, this is quoting from uh, Wikipedia of all places. Um, the Hayes office found the scene strongly suggested bestiality and was cut for the theatrical release. <laughs> Oh, isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like so we should talk about about where these things are coming or why these things are so also interesting for tattooing, artistically speaking, right? Because again, when you find kind of critics writing about Avery's animation style, drawing style, they sort of point out that like it's pretty old school, it's mm-hmm. pretty kind of traditional. But it's also like he just gets a lot of weird energy out of not many lines. Like perfect for tattooing. If you look at the way that the the wolves are drawn, or the wolf is drawn, the wolf character is drawn, you have these like incredible sweeping lines, you have these like big, long, exaggerated features. And you can just see how like they're super they'd be super quick. Well, because obviously this kind of animation, you're drawing every single frame by hand um or your animation team are and like they so they have to be quick to draw they are they are kind of boiled down um and simplified and like that is also the same for tattooing right like turning these sketches turning these funny things that work as sight gags that that are grotesque and sexy and funny and you know masculine as well as kind of nostalgic all of these things at once like and they're quick and easy to draw and they look fucking great just with heavy black line work and a bit of color so so cool and you can see why again why they still work today right why people are still getting this kind of stuff um like off of off of the flash sheets in tattoo shops and it you know it it goes back to your constant point of people get tattoos of the things they love the things they hate the things they want to fuck and it's like it's sex it's humor it's hubris, national honor, you know, it, it's it's everything all in one. And, you know, when we move on to talk about Max Fleischer, it becomes like a lot more interesting as well when you have that perspective being created by someone who wasn't born in the US and like has a different kind of national view of it. Yeah. And I think like Avery's increasingly kind of cynical of that stuff too, right? Like there, there's a bit in the Red Hot Riding Hood short where um, 
like the wolf basically sort of stops and looks at the camera and says like come on this is too syrupy this is too safe uh we mm-hmm. want something more more sexy and more interesting um and the other my other favorite ones from avery actually are are, are they're called the world of tomorrow sequence and they're like mm-hmm. they're piss takes or parodies of like um those kind of public information films that were produced in the 40s uh, which are like, you know, the home of the future will be, or the car of the future. And they're hilarious because he's clearly like, fuck this stuff, like taking the piss mm-hmm. out of industrialists, taking the piss out of um, techno-utopianism. Uh, like everything is like a ridiculous joke. Um, like uh, there's a... Uh, Carpeting so lush and deep, a butler sinks into his neck. Um, a button to fool tax assessors by transforming the house's appearance into a dilapidated hovel. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like it's just it's 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 full of it's full of cynicism. Like Disney is not cynical at all, and like every stuff is like really really cynical. Yeah, and put it. it- I think him being from Texas also influences it, like this kind of like idea of like red blooded Americanism, but also Texas and its his historical kind of standpoint as an opposition to like the monoculture and state of the US. That like like growing up surrounded by, you know, quote unquote good old boys and like people, you know, Texas is Texas, it's not the US. It kind of maybe in some roundabout way helped form this kind of skeptical mindset that he brought into his cartoons. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And like, yeah, I, it's, 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 again, not obviously none of this, it was in any way visible to me as a kid, but coming back to it all um, with the light of, you know, light of an art history education and, 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 and knowing about history and thinking about these things like masculinity and sexuality and, you know, economic politics and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's really, really interesting that he gets to exist uh, on these two levels at the same time. Right. I just think that's, that's incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like maybe the last thing we should just quickly mention here and maybe it's, it is a bit of a, um, it is a bit of a, a, a segue then potentially to talk about the other person we want to talk about today, Fleischer. Um, which is this issue of like of minstrelry and black and blackface as an origin for this stuff. There's a, again, a really amazing book um, that I can recommend to listeners called birth of an industry by Nicholas Salmond, blackface minstrel minstrelry and the rise of American animation. Um, and like the reason that, you know, Mickey mouse and Felix, the cat, uh, and to a lesser degree characters like, uh, Betty Boop as well exists is because they emerge from um, like blackface minstrelry, basically, like particularly Mickey Mouse and Felix the Cat, um, Steamboat Willie. There are kind of racialized gags in in the Avery cartoons as well. There's a short called Lucky Ducky where um, these like characters kind of you know they're, they're out hunting and the shotgun shells backfire and they end up with blackface. All of this stuff is is sort of paralleling and emerging out of um, the, the 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 long and sad and, and terrifying and evil history of 
of, of minstrel shows, which which are mocking and appropriating and um, you know demeaning plantation uh, or culture that em- emerged from plantations um, in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century. Like all of this stuff, um, the reason that Mickey Mouse wears white gloves, right? That's because he's because he's a blackface minstrel character, basically. And like, you know, this stuff is now so divorced from that that we we can't straightforward in 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 um it's so many steps away that we can't say Mickey Mouse is straightforwardly a minstrel character, but he emerges from minstrelry, right? Um, Bugs Bunny. Uh, to some degree as well. Like all of these characters like have a um have rooting in uh black faced mockeries, right? Of of mm-hmm. of of enslaved people in, in the United States. Um like Fleischer's studio, uh if we're moving on to him, had a had its own kind of character called Coco the Clown, right? And Warner Brothers had Bosco, who was their kind of Mickey Mouse ripoff. Um Not and to even be like Daffy with Duck, art- right? Not even not to be confused with Ireland's Bosco. <laughs> no, different people entirely. Did, did you know what Bosco um, is? So I've heard of Bosco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. It looks like um, Raggedy Ann for anyone who's interested. Yeah. So I want to quote here from from Salmon. So um, he quotes from uh, initially from a guy called George Walker, who was a performer, um, writing in 1906. Uh, and there's going to be some racialized language here in quotation marks. Um, so this is George Walker. When we're not when we were not working, we frequented the playhouses just the same. In those days, black-faced white comedians were numerous and very popular. They build themselves as coons. Bert Williams and I watched the white coons, and we were often much amused at seeing white men with black cork on their faces trying to imitate black folks. Nothing about these white men's actions was natural. And therefore, nothing was as interesting if black performers had been dancing and singing their own songs in their own way. And that's the, one of the points here, right? This is like, uh, uh, as jazz and um, black music uh, and black comedy became popular, this was a way for white people to to do it, uh, you know, so they didn't have to hire black people, basically. And so, um, yeah, Simmons goes on, says, this project, this book has taken its central object Continuing cartoon characters, the drawn versions of animals and people behind which animation studios made their individual names, such as Dizzy's Mickey Mouse, the Fleischer Studios, Coco the Clown and Bimbo, and Warner Brothers, Bosco, Daffy Duck, and Bugs Bunny. Appearing in commercial cartoon after cartoon, these characters served as living trademarks for their makers, and all were minstrels. These trademark minstrels, these living commodities, have much to say about the political economy of American commercial animation in its formative stages. These tunes weren't merely modelled after minstrels. They were, rather, performing minstrelry in a different modality. They were and are one more facet in a much larger matrix of racialized and racist performances that works to sim- situate blackness and whiteness in a fantastic relationship with each other. Um, so, yeah, like this kind of... All these characters and all of these tropes... Um, the use, for example, with Betty Boop, um, a character created by Max Fleischer uh, in 1930, um, this jazz age flapper, like the reason that you know jazz is popular and, and these become part of the um, part of the American culture and therefore in in cartoons is because of this particular history of appropriation of African American um, and 
enslaved people's cultural tropes, right? Super, super complicated. I mean, I don't. We're not. Again, we're not sort of saying that anyone who's got a Betty Boop tattoo or Betty Boop, Betty Boop in its contemporary context is a racist character. But like, it's interesting, I think, to to think about where these come from and why they're such a part of um, mm-hmm. mainstream American and therefore kind of global culture, right? Mm-hmm. 